The Stranger banishes the cultists and Sauron twists Galadriel's mind. We continue our spoiler-rich adventure, exploring the lore behind the finale of Rings of Power Season 1. You are listening to the second of three lore breakdowns. As always, you'll find links in the show notes to purchase the books that I reference in today's episode. And if you're feeling up to it, you can buy me a wafer of Lembes at buymeacoffee.com slash L-O-T-R-Podcast. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com slash L-O-T-R-Podcast. Welcome! In the Lore of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Bagovanian, fellow wanderers. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash iron from using upside to help pay for a vacation later this year download the free upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas use promo code game to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank you can cash out anytime right to your bank paypal or a gift card for amazon and other brands just download the free upside app and use promo code game for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank that's code game for a 25 cents per gallon bonus we start today back in a where Celebrimbor and his new buddy Halbrand attempt to alloy the Mithril. But Galadriel has questions. She asks a loremaster to find anything he can regarding royal lines in the Southlands. And as they walk by, you can hear Elrond say, quote, Constraint can be the very progenitor of invention. Clearly, that's a remash of the axiom, Necessity is the mother of invention. It's an okay line, but it does follow a long tradition of Tolkien taking common phrases and rearranging them slightly, almost as if these common phrases we use today are watered-down versions of phrases that used to be said thousands of years ago in Middle-earth. I can't think of any right now, but there's a handful of examples in Tolkien's writing. Anyway, there's this off-putting exchange between Galadriel and Halbrand, where Halbrand subtly gives what could be construed as a threat. He'll make sure that no one else forgets that Galadriel saved him. Is this some possible blackmail that Halbrand is going to hold over Galadriel? Does he realize that she's onto him at this point? We switch storylines back to the cultists as they try to awaken supposed Sauron from the veil that has been placed on his mind. The concept of some sort of barrier being placed on spiritual beings' memory as they take mortal form in Middle-earth is described in Tolkien's Unfinished Tales. Quote, It is said that being embodied the Istari had need learn much anew by slow experience. And though they knew whence they came, the memory of the Blessed Realm was to them a vision from afar. I noticed in this episode that the three cultists actually have names. The Dweller, who can shapeshift and control fire, the Nomad, and the Ascetic. As far as I know, there's no lore connection to those three names or characters specifically. They mention a constellation, one that the stranger has been looking for, called the Hermit's Hat. 
That constellation specifically is a rings of power invention, but they say that the stars can be seen only in one place, the land of Rune, far to the east. Rune is the farthest east land that we see in the maps that accompany the Lord of the Rings books, but let's connect it to something you likely know. In The Hobbit, Bilbo helps the dwarves reclaim the Lonely Mountain. On the way, they stop in a town of men called Lake Town. That lake has a river running out of it, called the River Kelduin, or the River Running. If you follow that river's course, it goes way into the east, to a great inland sea called the Sea of Rune. This sea may be the last remnants of the once great lake Quivienen, by which the elves first awoke in the ancient history before the First Age. Go back and listen to episode 3 of the Lore of the Rings podcast for that story. The cultists also say that in this land, the stars are strange. This is a direct quote from Aragorn in the chapter called The Council of Elrond in the Fellowship of the Ring. Aragorn is explaining to Boromir where he's journeyed throughout his life, and he says in part, quote, I have crossed many mountains and many rivers, and trodden many plains, even in the far countries of Rune and Harad, where the stars are strange. In any case, the cultist tries to convince the stranger that in Rune he will regain all his powers. But Nori and the Harfoots interfere. Only for Sadok the Trailfinder to take a ninja star to the gut. But in another Rings of Power miracle, he's up and moving around just seconds later without a drop of blood on his shirt. But then, a few minutes later, he dies. Even my kids caught on to this inconsistency when the enchantment was broken and we dived back to willing suspension of disbelief. They said, oh, he's faking it. Look, he's all right. And then when he started to really die, they said, oh, wait, is, is he faking it? Oh, no, he's actually hurt. But during the battle, Nori takes the staff to the stranger and encourages him, saying, quote, only you can choose what you are. You choose by what you do. Now, choice is a big theme for Tolkien. Just look at the stories of Baron and Luthien, and their descendant Eärendil, not to mention Aragorn and Sam. It's the smallest of choices, when the character doesn't know all the details, and can't see the end from the beginning, that makes the biggest difference in Middle-earth. Gandalf says it best, after Frodo expresses his desperate wish that he had never received the ring. Gandalf says, quote, So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. In the stranger's case, with Nori's encouragement, he chooses to be good, and saves the Harfoots, and banishes the cultists. At least three things are happening at this moment. One, the cultists realize their mistake. The stranger is not Sauron. They have another word for him, Istar. We'll get to that in the next podcast episode. Two, the stranger, like the dweller minutes before, uses the staff to channel his power. This follows the Tolkien tradition of mighty objects being used as a channel or amplifier of a person's power. As Galadriel reminded Frodo after he looked into her mirror, quote, Did not Gandalf tell you that the rings give power according to the measure of each possessor? The same seems to hold true for the wizard's staffs, with the great visual representation of a wizard's duel in Peter Jackson's Fellowship of the Ring movie. The third thing happening at this moment is that the stranger banishes the cultists. First, we realize that his power of speech has returned, and I love what he says, quote, From shadow you came, to shadow I bid you return. 
Then he strips them of their mortal guises. This reminds me of when Sauron stripped Finrod and Baron from their disguises, and when Luthien stripped Sauron from his mortal guise. Listen to episodes 21 and 23 for that story. When their spiritual forms are revealed, these cultists look dead and decaying, much like the Nazgul appeared to Frodo's eyes when he puts on the ring at Weathertop. But the stranger is able to dissolve the cultists, turning their spirits into moths or butterflies, which connects the stranger to either Gandalf, who used butterflies and moths in the movies, or Radagast, who loved all creatures. But the staff dissolves in the light from the stranger's hand. Let's leave the stranger and the Harfoots to quickly mention Elendil and Muriel as they return to Numenor. Elendil reveals that he is indeed one of the faithful, one of the elf friends, and seems to have regained his resolve to follow the way of the faithful, even after the loss of Isildur. Muriel's father, King Palantir, has apparently died, as shown by all the black flags in the harbor. And there's a shot where Farazon is staring at the dead king, clearly contemplating his own mortality and the nature of death. And that is the last of the Numenorians that we see in Season 1. Bouncing back to Eregion, Celebrimbor and Halbrand are attempting to make an alloy from the Mithril. Alrand has some unhelpful advice about the boundaries between the seen and unseen worlds being softened. Celebrimbor laments the high pressure he, uh, I mean, the Mithril is under. Gladriel suggests a break and gives Halbrand an idea. Be gentle with the Mithril. At that moment, the elven librarian returns with a scroll, and he and Galadriel go examine it, much to Halbrand's distress. Why is he so worried about what Galadriel will discover from that scroll? Well, we're about to find out. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. In looking at the scroll, Galadriel realizes that there is no king in the Southlands, not for a thousand years. She confronts Halbrand. Halbrand claims that he told the truth. He found the royal token on a dead man. And then he and Galadriel have different versions of what happened on the raft and in Numenor. He also claims that Adar was his enemy. Gladriel asks for his name, and then Halbrand gives it all away. Quote, I have been awake since before the breaking of the first silence. In that time, I have had many names. Boom, there it is. That's enough for Galadriel to know that Halbrand is Sauron. But don't be hasty. Let's examine Halbrand Sauron's claims. He's been awake since before the breaking of the first silence? What does that mean? 
Well, on the surface, he's establishing his power and prestige over Galadriel. She who was born before the sun and moon, and told Halbrand on the raft that his life was much shorter than hers. Well, sorry sister, Sauron has been around even longer. Let's go back to the first line of the Silmarillion. Quote, There was Eru, the one, who in Arda is called Iluvatar, and he made first the Ainur, the holy ones, that were the offspring of his thought. And they were with him before aught else was made. And he spoke to them, propounding to them themes of music, and they sang before him, and he was glad. Let's break that down. The divine hierarchy of Tolkien's world begins with the one god named Eru or Iluvatar. His first creation was a class of spiritual beings called the Ainur. Later, some, but not all, of these Ainur would come to Middle-earth. The most powerful were called the Valar, and they are limited in number, but each is powerful in his or her own way. Along with the Valar came a class of less powerful spiritual beings called the Maiar. The Maiar were also part of the Ainur, which Iluvatar created first. Sauron is one of these Maiar. Are you still with me? I'll summarize all of that. The one god, Iluvatar, first created the Ainur. Some of the Ainur came down to the world. Of those Ainur who came down, there are two classes. The more powerful, but few, Valar, and the less powerful, but many, Maiar. So the Valar and the Maiar are subsets of the Ainur, the first creations of Iluvatar. It's safe to assume that what Halbrand calls the first silence would have been the silence before Iluvatar the god spoke and the Ainur began to sing. Therefore, Halbrand is saying that he existed before the world did, for he was there in the beginning, before the creation of the world. And does he have many names? You'd better believe it. And not only because every person in Middle-earth has many names, Galadriel has three, Aragorn has like half a dozen, Gandalf has a bunch as well, but Sauron is singular in the quantity of names that he has. This is also a callback to a previous Rings of Power episode, I can't remember which one, where the elves are trying to guess who Adar is. But here's a short list of names for Sauron, courtesy of TolkienGateway.net. Base Master of Treachery, the Black One, the Black Hand, the Dark Lord, the Deceiver, the Eye, the King of Kings, the Lord of the Earth, the Necromancer, the Nameless, yeah, Voldemort copied Sauron on that one, the Shadow, the Sorcerer, Anatar, and so on. I think you get the idea. He's got a lot of names. And apparently Halbrand is now one of them. Galadriel puts out her dagger and attempts to cut down Halbrand, but he stops her effortlessly. Their eyes meet before Galadriel falls into a stupor, and Sauron's psychological games begin. Before we look at the mind games, let's consider Sauron's eyes. The great all-seeing eye would be Sauron's symbol in the Third Age, and is described at one point as, quote, the eye of Sauron, the terrible, few could endure. To demonstrate this, there's a little gem in the beginning of the story of Baron and Luthien, where Sauron has captured one of Baron's companions, who breaks the location of their secret camp. Quote, now Gorlim would have drawn back, but daunted by the eyes of Sauron, he told at last all he would know. Then Sauron laughed, and he mocked Gorlim, and revealed to him that he had seen only a phantom devised by wizardry to entrap him. Similar to Baron's friend, Galadriel is now about to be entrapped in a phantom devised by wizardry as Sauron makes his move against Galadriel. We're going to examine these mind games one by one. 
I gotta say, I think these were a brilliant idea to demonstrate the struggle between Galadriel and Sauron. This psychological struggle seems to be Galadriel's chief fight against Sauron. As she explains to Frodo, quote, I know what it is you last saw, for that is also in my mind. I perceive the Dark Lord and know his mind, or all of his mind that concerns the elves, and he gropes ever to see me and my thought, but still the door is closed. She claims this mental warfare is the primary means by which Lothlorien is protected. However, with Halbrand, Galadriel has not yet learned to close her mind to Sauron. We see this in the first mind game. Galadriel is again in Valinor, apparently, and the first thing she says is, quote, get out of my mind. This first mind game is a plea to Galadriel's connection with her brother Finrod. Sauron's projection of Finrod is able to disarm Galadriel from the dagger, symbolically removing her from the light of the two trees that is represented by the gold and silver dagger. But Finrod's claims sound eerily like Adar. Sauron sought peace and to heal Middle-earth, but then he says, quote, just as your fellow elves are seeking to do. My daughter picked up on that line right away and said, that's not her brother, that's Sauron. I asked her how she knew, and she said, because he said, your fellow elves, meaning that he's not an elf, but her brother would be an elf, and probably would have said, our fellow elves. What a clever kid I have. Then he recalls his original advice to her about having to touch the darkness or such nonsense like that, but he says, quote, touch the darkness once more. But Galadriel realizes the farce. When the familial plea doesn't work, Sauron changes tactics. Now he'll use a friendship or even romantic argument to persuade Galadriel. We're back in the raft scene again from episode 2, where Halbrand claims to be Galadriel's friend, much like Elrond did before. But Sauron claims that he felt relieved after his master Morgoth's downfall, saying that he, quote, felt the light of the one again. The one refers to Eru Iluvatar, who created the world and about whom we just explored a minute ago. Sauron says he realized he needed to heal Middle-earth, and this line from the Silmarillion gives some weight to that claim. Quote, when Morgoth was overthrown, Sauron put on his fair hue again, and did obscience to the herald of the Valar and abjured all his evil deeds, and some hold that this was not at first falsely done, but that Sauron in truth repented, if only out of fear. Halbrand even invokes Galadriel's own words after the battle, quote, Whatever it is he did to you, and whatever it is you did, be free of it. At the time, we believed she was referencing Halbrand's personal vendetta against Adar, but now Sauron seems to have interpreted that line as something deeper. Be free of whatever Morgoth did to you. Be free of the evil you have done. Then we get to my favorite part of this episode. The camera twists in an unsettling way, much like Sauron's twisted arguments. And we see, just for a moment, the Lady of Light and the Lord of Darkness, silhouetted and reflected in the water. I just love it. Sauron says that he's the only one who understands Galadriel, contrasting him with the other male figures in her life and Halbrand's arguments pulled directly from Galadriel's words as she is tempted to take the ring. Quote, and now at last it comes. You will give me the ring freely. In place of the Dark Lord, you will set up a queen, and I shall not be dark, but beautiful and terrible as the morning and the night, fair as the sea and the sun and the snow upon the mountain, dreadful as the storm and the lightning, 
stronger than the foundations of the earth. All shall love me and despair. But Halbrand says he will put off the darkness only with Galadriel's light, and that together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. Oh, sorry, got my plot lines crossed again. But this, I think, is the double meaning in the finale's title, Alloyed. Sauron is attempting to mix Galadriel's light with his thirst for domination. She binds him to light, and he binds her to power. But Halbrand sees no difference between saving and ruling, because to him, peace in Middle-earth means he's at the top of the power hierarchy. And Galadriel's hand again is the gold and silver dagger, representing the light of the two trees. And she is able to see through Sauron's lies, and refuses the romantic plea. So Sauron changes the mind games for a third time. Blackmail. The storm on the sea rages again. Notice it comes from the right side of the screen versus in episode 2, the storm came from the left. Again, these are mind games, not accurate representations of past or future events. He reminds her that the shadow is spreading and time is limited for the elves. She has no choice. No one listens to Galadriel. She's been cast out for lesser reasons. What will they do when they learn that she has saved, helped, and allied with their enemy? But Galadriel is no longer daunted by his eyes, claiming that he will die because of her. They scream and notice that Halbrand's eyes change shape when he's yelling. They appear more snake-like, like the eye that will be atop the tower Baradur in Peter Jackson's movies. Sauron has no more arguments, so he resolves to kill Galadriel. She falls from the raft again and is drowning and Halbrand won't save her this time. Instead, her true friend, Elrond, pulls her from the water as she looks up and into the light. But she fears the mind games are continuing, and she gives Sauron one of his more well-known titles, Deceiver! Elrond can verify his identity, and Sauron's mind games are over. And if you're wondering what the elvish phrase means that Elrond whispers to Galadriel as their foreheads touch, he says, Aquith to say which roughly means life to you. That's the end of the lore for today. Join me in a couple of days where I'll break down the lore in the final scenes of the Rings of Power Season 1 finale, the forging of the three rings for the elves. And if you like what you heard today, please leave a rating and review, and share with a friend. You never know who might be drowning in Sauron's twisted mind games, and you may just be the friend they need to pull them out of the water and into the light. Thanks for listening, and allow me to close with Aquith to say Melon. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.